check, 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 one, two, one, two. We're ready? Are we recording? Yes. <clears throat> Are we recording? You okay? Oh my goodness, I've just noticed I've actually got baby food on me. I do. <laughs> I've got my son's wee baby pint on me. He had a vegetable thing me bake and it's just on my top. I am so sorry. What does it taste like? That so was really lovely. I can't use it myself. I'll just cover that up there. Oh, fuck, I've got baby food all over me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We know, only, you know we're recording now. This could well be used. He's only nine months, but he's, he puts his wee fingerprints on me. That's what it's been. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, uh, we're, we're ready, Jamie. You okay? Perfect. Perfect. We're ready, Greg? Okay. Kat, you ready? Always. Michelle McManus, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, cue the titles. Been about town a little. <laughs> <laughs> so strictly came in for next year, would you? You went down to London with 40p, and the next thing you check your bank account, and you've got two million. And then the next day, <laughs> on the front page of the Star, Kate Moss parties with Michelle McManus. Now that that's getting framed. <laughs> Welcome along to Union Cats Uncut Podcast, and we're delighted to have this young lady in the studio with us today. From 2003 until this present day, I have waited all this wow. time. It's bad, isn't it? Just chinless, to be honest. <laughs> oh, it's lovely you Michelle. Michelle McHannis! Can I just say that was beautiful? Thank you very much. Yeah, I've been thinking about that all day. How to introduce Michelle McManus, who I have known for a very long time. But we haven't really spoken at great length. Every time we've done something on the radio, it's been little short spurts here and there. Mm-hmm. But here you are for the Uncut Podcast. So you can be who you want to be. You can say what you want to say. It doesn't matter because it's Uncut, Michelle. We want to get it all out of you today. I mean, I'll try, but I just don't know if I'm that interested in you. Are you worried about the things we might ask you today? No, I'm quite excited. I mean, please, I have two children under two. I mean, I've been waiting. I've been waiting all this time to have some sort of adult conversation with someone. So. <laughs> because you and Kat go back a long way. Kat is one of my very best friends in the world. She's one of my favourite people in the world. So there are secrets. There are things. I wouldn't say there's secrets. I would just say there's been a lot of carnage. There's, there's, <laughs> there's not secrets from each other. There's maybe secrets from the world. Oh, secrets from the, oh, <laughs> from the world. From yes, you. yes. Do we do we do we find out if we um, will find what was? Is there a chance that those secrets will be revealed today? That no, no, no. So you're not. I don't even know what you're talking about. We shared a dressing room for three months. <laughs> oh, aye. During a panto. Well, yeah. I think maybe at one point we'd match in onesies and we had. We like, did. We used to like. Ab- Cuddled together and like oh, I had the best. It was like it was yeah. like Joey and Ross from Friends, like the nap buddies. I had the best sleep ever, just basically lying on top of this lassie. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that she felt the same way, but oh my god! I mean, you can forget your memory phone matches. I just buried myself in the cat. What was it like sleeping on cat? Oh, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, I think cat probably saw her life flash before her a couple of times, maybe in probably was, treble the size of her. That but. was like between the two shows, so there'd be a panto, like, and you've done panto, yeah, 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 yeah. the first show, and then you'd maybe have an hour and a half, two hours, and then like, during the winter in December, it was raining outside, so you'd just put the onesie on. Lights down. <laughs> still Hold have, on, you two did panto together, did you not sleep on top of cat no. at any point? <laughs> no, I've never had that experience, Michelle. You and Kat no. never at any point invited me to sleep on top of her either. You've no, no lived. It no. Was, it wasn't You've happening. no lived. It's but we happening. had to have all these different things. We had... Um, 
We played a lot of Tinder, didn't we? We played a lot. Of, so I was single at the time. So what, what Kat would do is, Kat would go, let's play Tinder. So I was on Tinder really in name only because the point was I was on Tinder for a whole year before I met my husband because I'd kind of hit that point where I was 34 Never had had a boyfriend. Like, I'd been on hundreds of dates, and I, you know, but I never had anyone as a significant other. And I was getting to, like, 34, and I was like, I really want to meet someone. So Gary Lamont, at the time that we were doing panel with, he was like, ah, oh, everybody for ever City's on it. Just get yourself on it. And I was like, oh, I don't really know how this will work. And I was on it for a year, and I think I went on two coffee dates because I just never really had the confidence to finally... And folk were always like, oh, you're no Michelle McManus, you're at it. And I'm like, of all the people I was going to pretend to be on a dating site... <laughs> Michelle McManus would not be the top person. I'd be going for like Cheryl Cole or something like that, right? And then what Kat would do is she'd be like, let me see your phone. Because you were quite, not fussy, but you were quite you, nervous actually. I just was always quite nervous because I just, I, did, I actually did want to meet someone. So yeah. therefore, but what Kat would do is she would go, let's play Tinder. And she would just scroll through and start liking folk that I hadn't even said I would like. Kat's like, just give them a chance. He looks nice. <laughs> He's got 12 cats, it's fine, don't worry about that. He's saying, uh, like oh, he lives with his mammy. Oh, but you're a nice boy. So she would just start, you would just, we would just play Tinder. Oh, but, but someone like yourself who was, who's very much in the public eye, you're on Tinder, but my good friend to my left, who I've been trying to persuade for years to get herself on a dating site to go and have a wee bit of fun, refuses point blank. Can I tell you why? Why? Because she doesn't need Tinder. So time. someone who's in the public domain like yourself who goes on to Tinder... That must be a worrying moment at that particular time because you're going to be fearing that people might judge you because you're on Tinder, because you're on a dating site. When, you know what I mean? Because lots of famous people do go into dating sites. No, because I had tried everything else. any self-respecting, decent single woman can do when she's on the hunt for a man. I mean, <laughs> I, had, I would go out on a Friday night with my pals and dress provocatively. I left my drink unattended. And, <laughs> you know... Nothing. So, therefore, therefore, I was like, okay, well, the universe is telling me something. I need to do something drastic here. No, I went on. I mean, of course, I was really nervous going on a dating site because because you're in the public domain. That's yeah. that's 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 the problem. People instantly know who you are. But they're going to know who I'm in a pub or whatever. I meet them anyway, right? And mm-hmm. I, I kind of own. I kind of tried to convince myself that it was like the new modern, you know, that people would go to a church dance and meet in the 50s and 60s or up a social club. My mum and dad met the White Elephant, which mm-hmm. was Victoria's. Mm-hmm. So I just thought maybe online is the most honest place to meet someone. And then it turns out I met my husband in a pub one night and it was Kat that got us together. So, But I kind of feel, to be honest, if I hadn't have been on Tinder for that year and that interacting, because I chatted to hundreds of guys, I never met them. But what it did do was when I did meet my husband that night in the pub with Kat, when he texted me the next day, his chat was just amazing compared to these guys that I had been talking to. And there was no games. He's like, but when am I seeing you next? Well, you know, and it wasn't a case. I, I remember. Waiting. I remember you texting me going, "He's asked me out for a coffee. What do I do?" I know. And I'm like, "You go for a coffee," because he just it, there wasn't this you know weeks and months of chatting back and forth and me going, "Is he going to ask me? Out? Go and meet him, yeah. or is this guy just playing a game?" I met my husband that night, and the next day he's like, "Right, when are we going out?" And I was like, um, "Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm very, 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 very busy. I mean, uh, I, I don't know that maybe the weekend or something." He's like, "I was thinking maybe tonight or tomorrow night or something." Wow. I was like. You know, to be honest with you, he was so keen I wanted a background check done. I was like, <laughs> I was like, 
I've went polar opposite here of, you know, can't even get a man to buy me a kebab on the way up the road saying my husband wants to marry me after but two days. You have reason to do that because I remember one of the Tinder people, remember the firefighter from Port Glasgow? Oh, was this was he just like catfishing, wasn't he? He wasn't a firefighter from Port oh, he, Glasgow. First of all, he had a beard and then fireman can't I don't know. Yeah. There was so many clues. Do you not remember the, the the classic line was he actually said this one time and we were sitting in the panto and it just he said, um, it's really quiet and been sent home. And you said, oh, he's away up the road tonight because it's really quiet. And I went, I thought you said he was a firefighter. I know, they don't get sent home. They don't get sent home because it's quiet. And my my brother-in-law is like so high up in the fire service. By the time I think he was like head of the Kirkadens or something, and I asked him and he's like, no, I don't know who he is. I don't have a clue. Never heard of him in my life. And then remember I called him out on it and his whole profile just disappeared. He just disappeared. So you were right to do that about your lovely husband. Um, Yeah, but can can we just get back to the moment where you meet your husband because you said it was because of Kat. So... Very long you kind of skipped over that, so I'd like a wee bit more details to how Kat is involved in you meeting your so husband. I just finished Edinburgh Festival in the August, right? So it's like, this is August uh-huh. 2015, it's the first week in September, and I am going down to London to get fitted with my mermaid costume, as you do, Ewan, because I'm in, at that point, at the SEC with David Hasselhoff and the Crankies. So you were! <laughs> Which, let me tell oh, you... Oh, you talk about that later. I've never done a panto since, because I really hit my panto ceiling at that point, because... <laughs> the Hoff. With the Hoff and the Crankies, that was a sandwich, by the way, and I was all grown up after that. It was amazing. Did you? Oh, yeah. And what was all grown up? No, the sandwich. No. <laughs> No, I, I, I was the bit of lettuce and nobody wants in the middle of the sandwich. I get flung away. Right? See, was, while you were doing that panto, Kat and I got invited round to the Cranky's flat, which is right close by to the yeah, SECC. And they made us dinner. And I ended up, Jimmy Cranky sat my knee. Can I tell you something? I really hurts me when I see anything about them online when people are kind of like not being nice or being a bit cruel or slagging them off. They were the most incredible duo to work with. It's you know, both of them, Ian, but especially Jeanette, and see what they don't know about performing and what they don't know about panto. It's not worth knowing. There was a point where I was going out and doing my bit, and I had a couple of really funny lines. And like maybe after one or two shows, Jeanette said, "Look, are you up for a wee bit of constructive, you know, like feedback or you know, wee bit of direction, wee bit of direction?" Yeah. And I was like, "Absolutely, I don't have a clue what I'm doing." She's like, "Try and say the line like this, and just just see what happens." So I went out that night and said the line, and I nearly got blown off the stage with the laughter. So I then spent the next six weeks basically going to their dressing room in between taking notes, taking notes, All and right. just learning from them. I mean, they were incredible, and they were just the nicest people, mm-hmm. you know. And we've all got our personas and how we're portrayed by the media and all the rest of it. Honestly, it was just a joy. I will never forget working. Did with you them. hate how the media portrayed the Crankies? I hate, and yeah. I still hate it. Yeah. And I feel like they just have to go along with it because they're such pros, you know, and they're just kind of like, well, you know, and, you know, they have a laugh and they just, they've done it for such a long time. And, you know, part of me feels like, I just hope they never feel like they have to just go along with it because that's part of the the part of the gig. And I'm sure they don't, right? They are, they live an incredible life and they deserve it. But honestly, in terms of entertainers, they were probably to this day the best I've ever worked with. Really? Phenomenal and lovely, lovely people. What about the Hoff? I mean, he's a legend. I mean, I loved him as Michael Knight and Knight Rider. I grew up with him and I met him. I think it was because of you. I met him at the Edinburgh Festival because he also done a run at the festival. Remember, we went to see him at yes, the festival. We did. Mm-hmm. I he, mean, the guy is something else. Yes. I mean, he's on another planet. Yes, and he was an absolute gentleman to work with. I mean, he was otherworldly, is how I would describe him. And I mean that in the nicest way because I'm not really into slagging folk. He is, you cannot 
be the, the mega star that he was and been there when the Berlin Wall came down and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he's had, by his own admission, addiction issues and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff, right? You can't have lived that kind of life, right? And be, mm-hmm. you know, like, you're, you know, just really down to earth. And he was down to earth, right? But I don't think he even knew he was in Glasgow, right? Because <laughs> I think he just knew he was in the UK, right? But, I mean, I, he couldn't understand the word I said. And I thought, by the way, I'm not even that broad... I mean, I am yeah, broad Glaswegian, but I mean, if you can't understand me, I don't know you how you're going to cope with the people at the stage door waiting to see you. Aye. Oh, big man. Oh. <laughs> and he he was lovely, right? But he was kind of just, you know, otherworldly. And I was exactly what you would expect him to be. You can't have starred in like Night Rider and Baywatch and all these huge big, and had the singing career that he's had in Europe and stuff. And not be affected in some way, but still a really lovely guy. Do you know, I've known you for years, right? We we met in the dance floor of the shed, I think. We did. I was, <laughs> was that not in your phone? Is Michelle? You shed? still are Michelle oh. McShed. You're Michelle still McShed. Phone, Michelle McShed. Yeah, she's still on my phone. Is Michelle McShed? And you met her first time at the shed. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that story on before. On the dance floor, and uh, was it after a Scotland game? I don't even know. Might oh. have just been a random Saturday That's night. All our nights. That's how I met my husband because it was after the Scotland game. I met Kat. And yeah. the pub. So we're all going full circle then. Oh, sorry. So before we get to the shed, let's. F- so let's get back to your husband. I'm, I'm, so you're you're doing the run at the SECC. So you've no, got the crankies was, in the Hof. So and it then was in September and I was going to get fitted for the mermaid costume and Kat had texted me, so it was a Monday, and Scotland were playing Germany. And of course Kat goes to, of course, part of the Tartan Army goes to all the Scotland mm-hmm. games and she said, listen, I'm going to be over your neck of the woods. I'm going to Hamden the night. We are meeting for a drink. And I was like, Kat, I'm in London. I'm getting the train back up at like two or three o'clock. I said, I don't, I don't think I get in before the second half. I said, and I'm away to Sunderland the next day because I was working down south. I know I say Sunderland's down south, it's down south to us, but if you yeah. said that in Sunderland, I think you'd be, you were mental, right? So I said, I'll never be able to come out. And Kat's like, just get out, I'll meet you in the pub after the game. Game's finished at, what, 10 o'clock or whatever. So I get sent to Shawlands about, I don't know, 9 o'clock. And I didn't even bring my wallet out with me, right? Because I thought, I, could just, I, had, I had money in my bag, I was like, I'll just go up for a quick drink. Met Kat in a pub, and as she sat down, there was two guys sat near us, and I think one of the guys, which was now my husband, said to her, is that Michelle McManus? I basically pure fancy her or something along those the lines. The line was, I've loved her since I was 14. Like, <laughs> and I remember going, two things, it's a wee bit creepy. <laughs> and number, the other one, uh, don't tell her that because she'll feel ancient. Yeah. Because you're obviously just a wee bit younger than her. So I'm 42 and just 36. Right. right. So there was, I think he was 29 and I was like yeah. 25 or something. I did a full uh, Spanish Inquisition on him though. I, I knew that he was a... Uh, uh, I, so you're, you're so you're having the conversation with Jeff before you introduce Jeff to Michelle. Yeah, because he so might you, be a nutcase. So you are the go-between. <laughs> so Kat's the go-between, and also not only that, as he says to Kat, you know, do you think I could get a picture with her kind of thing? And Kat's uh-huh. like, I just ask her. So I've got this picture of Jeff and I. Just as a, he's just asked me for a picture, and that's our very first picture together. Super fan, loves you. Yeah, yeah. I, re- I really fancy him because he is a lovely looking boy. Do you know I mean? Aye. He's beautiful, and he, I've met him. I've met him. He's a lovely boy, and he's a redhead, and I've all that. In fact, the conversation we ended up going to campus that night, right? So I basically had no money. Cats, like, I'll give you money. I'm like, my house is right there. I'll just go and get my wallet. No, you're not going. You're not coming back. She doesn't let me out of sight. So we get to camp. We are going to campus that night, and in the taxi. Jeff's sitting there with this other guy called Canada John, that was his mate, and a uh, long story. And uh, it's from Canada. It's from Canada. <laughs> right. 
But Kat and Rona, it was Rona. Yeah. Was like, so Rona had this, you know, the polystyrene container, uh-huh. and it's got, the, it's got the pakora in it with the sauce, and it's bouncing in the taxi because we're going over every speed bump, right? And Rona's not giving up; she's absolutely going to eat all this pakora, right? <laughs> and is this ta- Rona from BBC News? No, my friend Rona from school. All oh, right, okay. Right. So this is so Rona's eating the pakora in the middle. Cat's sitting there; she's giving Jeff like you know the the, the pure lowdown and what's going on with him. And she's like, look, at the end of the day, what we need to know is she wants ginger babies, right? Are you going to gear ginger babies? <laughs> you never. Like, in the taxi. In the taxi, right? And Jeff's, I'm sitting in the fold-down seat going, are you? Basically. <laughs> and Jeff's going, I just came and bought because he was younger and I came up and Jeff went, I will absolutely give you ginger babies. There is no problem with that. And I was like that, I don't know if I want to give you my number. And he's like, I'm being deadly serious. I, I really, really like you and everything. And I want to give you ginger babies. And, I, and the next minute, I just felt this really like wet sensation down my leg. And I was like, oh, what? And I was like, oh my God, what is this? And it was Rona's pakora sauce. Rona's pakora sauce that came flying at the polystyrene container. Just like the, so it was in, my shoe was like a, a pakora sauce canoe. You know, it was like just full of sauce. And he still wanted my number at the end, yeah. didn't he? Still wow. wanted to I remember thinking because the pakora sauce went down his trousers as well, right? Oh, wait, I mean, there was so much Everywhere. pakora sauce. It was right? like a lot of sauce. A mega tub. And he just went, and, and Rona was like, she, she did a sherry or 10. And she was like, I'm so sorry. And he's like, oh, look, listen, it's no worry at all. And I went, a man that can be that cool when he's covered in pakora right. sauce is a keeper. Yeah. He said he loved this meal, to be honest. So, so <laughs> my question is this. So you're in the bar. Kat does the Inquisition. She thinks, right, he's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. We're going to campus now. So how long is it between you meeting him in the bar to then the question being asked about ginger babies? What's the time frame there? Oh, 40 minutes maybe? So in the space of 40 minutes, you've got a man who's agreed to give you ginger babies. And then the rest is history. The rest is history. And you know, sadly, both my babies are blonde. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what happens to this ginger gene? Wasn't it very strong? (laughs) I have a third. He went, what's your natural hair colour? I went, oh, I've not seen it since 1996. I can't even tell you. That's like, I've dyed my hair that long. I don't know. It's probably white now, but I mean, I, no, not having a third. No, the sh- I'm 42. The shop's shut. So, okay, so can I ask you then, when did you know Jeff was the one that you'd been looking for on Tinder or over all those many years? How did you know that he was, right, this is my man? I don't know. I just, I just knew. Felt it. Way. Did you just feel it? I was quite scared of it, actually. What, the feeling? The feeling, because I thought this is all happening too quickly, it's too fast. And, you know, that way I just, my whole life, you both going, what's for you won't go by you. Uh You'll know the one. And I was like, (laughs) just crying out in my way and going, when, where? But it was was true for me. I just met him and I just... And I take it was a feeling you hadn't had before? Never. You knew it was different? No, I had never, he'd never been engaged or married or anything like that. Um, I mean, I think he'd had girlfriends. I was the only one that hadn't had any sort of a significant other. But we just, it was really weird. Was that weird being, because you were like a, a, a good party girl. You know, you loved a night out and even, stuff like that. Even in the uncut version, she's not going to say what she actually wants to say. <laughs> what do you want to really say, No, Kat? don't bother saying what you really want to say. I had been about town a little. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean Michelle, we've all got a history. I mean, we even had uh, Julie oh. Nimble in here, who's married to Greg Kemble, and they were talking about their history and their past and how Greg Kemble had gone through the cast of this and the cast of that. Everyone's got a history. I never said that. No, 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 but I'm saying how Julie and Greg were talking about their history and their past, and we've all got one, Michelle. I had been a busy girl. (laughs) (laughs) But 
Nods. You know, just chatting and, and whatever, whatever. She was, whatever right? she was good to the boys. You. Know? <laughs> <laughs> but I had, I had. It's not that I hadn't had any like you know adventures experience. or experience mm. or I just never had. You anyone. enjoyed yourself. As you would do as a young lady, talented as you are. Well, there was nothing else to do. I mean, after, <laughs> after I won the show, it was a bit like, what's next? <laughs> but, no, I had a lot of fun and I spent a lot of my time in the shed. I mean, I was in the, I was going to the shed consistently for 10 years. My mum and dad sent a Christmas card to the shed for me one year because they said there was more chance of me getting it there. My mum's only saving grace was the chapel was right next door to the shed, so she felt if I fell out there on a Saturday night and fell asleep, at least I could go to chapel in the morning before I went up the road. But, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm making myself out. So, 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 how old were you when you met Jeff? Thirty-five. Thirty-five. So you'd been enjoying yourself up until the age of thirty-five. Yeah, I mean, and by the way, I'm making it out to be much more glamorous than it was. I just enjoyed like we'd go out, and we'd have a laugh, and we'd go to parties, and I'd maybe go on a date here and a date there, and there was always somebody I was kind of like dating or Aye. seeing or that kind of thing. But when it came to the point of saying, right, are we actually going to be boyfriend and girlfriend? Oh, let's just keep it casual. Let's keep it casual. Is, and I was, was like, yeah, what, absolutely, let's keep it casual. So was that your initial thought? Let's keep this casual and see where it goes. Well, no, that was what they were saying to me. Same it wasn't you. that I was particularly saying that to the guys. I mean, there was different. Some of the guys I was meeting, I didn't really fancy, right? But it was passing the time. And then there was guys that met me who did they probably want to really commit to me either so it was just I spent kind of 10-15 years of having lots of fun but never anything serious it was never I never took a boy home with my parents you know I never had that plus one at a wedding and right. all that kind of stuff I just never really had anyone that I would have ever called my boyfriend before and then I met Jeff and went for calling him that ginger guy I met in the taxi to my fiance because it just happened I mean within six months he asked to marry me so see we'll talk we'll touch on you winning pop idol shortly but between you and pop idol to then meet Kat, how many years? Is there, so, so when did you meet Kat? I went to pop in 2003. I probably met you Kat 2008, 2009. Yeah. Maybe in the shed. Yeah. In the yeah, shed. So you've known each other a number of years before Jeff appears on the scene then. Oh, way, way Aye. before that. Yeah. Way before that. But he fitted in straight away. That was the thing though. He was like one of us. He was just that. He was yeah. really. And, and you've got a like, circle of really lovely pals as well. Mm. And you've also Same got you. your sisters. Oh, well, I mean, Which yes. is a, the Nolans. A, a group. The McManiacs, yes. So the four like sisters. Five girls, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Five girls. So there's, there's Kat appears on the scene and you meet in the shed. Yes. Do you go up to Michelle? I can't we both went up to we, each, we other. Knew each we, other. I think we were just both fans. We just both knew each other. And I was like, yeah. my God, there's Kat Harvey. It was probably me came up to you, I would imagine. But it was, it totally was. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were acting all cool. Oh my God, there's Kat the radio. But I, yeah. probably, I would have, I would have yeah. seen myself doing that. Because you'd have been at Real Radio at the time. I was. Yeah. Aye, that's yeah. right. Aye. I think our paths across, I think you had interviewed me and stuff like that. So I think it was just the first time we were meeting each other, probably out Socially, with work and yeah. kind of social. And we were both absolutely tatty bongoed. So we were mm-hmm. like, let's get up and chat to you. So how long after meeting Jeff? Do you then put um, a ring on his finger? So I met Jeff in September 2015 and he asked to marry me in May. So it'll be a bit longer. May 2016. And I was really shocked. Not because I didn't think he would he would do it. I just I it just always just so lovely and so easy and he'd never been engaged before. I'd never been engaged before and he'd asked my dad and all that and I didn't oh, know. Did he? And, yeah, he so just, did it proper traditional way. Yeah, and just And you had no inkling. No, I, 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 for me, he was the, he was the one for me. But you had so, no inkling he was planning it. No, no, no definitely not at that point. I yeah. thought maybe like our first year. Also, we were both older when we met. You know, so mm. I suppose that we were only like twenty one or something like mm. that. So, did it worry you that you had such a, you know, you you had fame, and he was from not show business, and that's like quite a lot for somebody that's never 
seen people, you know, try to grab photos of you in the pub or shout at you walking down the street and want you to sing all the time and stuff like that. He's just always been so good. I mean, I'm hardly Madonna, right? It's probably we should clear that up. But, but you know, I do, folk do know you, just anyone after the telly, or yeah. if you're an influencer now or anything like that. But, you know, folk just come up and they're so lovely to me and they just chat away because it has been nearly 20 years. And I think for when I did Pop Idol at that time in 2003, you know, there was no social media, there was nothing. Folk just watching a Saturday night and they spent a fortune. So yeah. I'm like their reinvestment that they spent a lot of money on and they just want to see what's, as your investment, you know, yeah. growing. And is it still not the biggest TV vote of all time or something? What yeah, I think at the, the, they said something, I think it was like, I don't know, it was like 10.2 million yeah. votes or something. Wow. That's right. I know they, they pinned at the time that I got more votes than the Labour Party in the election that year, <laughs> which was really like... <laughs> It was a really weird thing. It was one of those like red top, you know, you know, headlines. But it was. I mean, it was just. It was the most incredible experience, and it was such a positive experience for me, and it totally changed my life. But what a journey, though, Michelle, because you turn up on Pop Idol, and you go in and win the show. Your life changes instantly. It did, and it was just. I mean, it was never. I think. You've also got to remember the shows back then were so much in their infancy. Not the concept, right? There was always kind of talent TV talent shows, but. The only one before me was Will Young, and at that point, Will took a long time to release his first and second album. So, mm-hmm. Leave Right Now had just came out in two thousand and three. Yeah, so yeah. all we all we were promised at the time was you'll get a single and you'll get an album and you've got a couple of weeks off your work. And there was never this blue tick that didn't exist. There yeah. was never this, you know, Little Mix or Leona Lewis and you know One Direction. You know, you weren't going to get launched into the stratosphere. It was. You were going to get a single. And other, there was other shows going about the time, like Fame Academy and stuff. And That's everything right. was really modest. It was yeah. just, and you know, and the judges were just judges. There was, and everything was done on a Saturday night. They didn't carry over it on the Sunday night. Yeah. So it was it was really in its infancy at that point. Because you had Fame Academy in 2002. Yeah. And you were 2003. So like David said. So yeah. our, 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 our expectations were so much lower of what we were to achieve from that show. Because you've got loads of folk that will say to me now, do you not wish you'd waste a couple of years and did X Factor? And I'm like, genuinely, no. Because I did this show at a time where it was just so, like... raw. Pure yeah. and raw. And, you know, my first edition, my granny came, where we shot and trolley got rested and some corned beef sandwiches. You know, like, <laughs> we... I genuinely thought I was going to get to audition for Simon Kill, get knocked back, and I would be going around the pub and telling my mates, oh, my God, guess. Never in my wildest dreams. You, you just wouldn't think like that. Whereas nowadays, I think, because everyone can... So why did you turn up? Because I think what had happened was I had missed the entirety of the first series of Pop Idol because I was working in a pub at the time mm-hmm. and I started a second job. So it was on a Saturday night. If you didn't see it, you didn't see it. There was no Sky Plus or, yeah. you know, whatever recording. And something weird happened that I got a night off in December and I can't remember what it was for, but I remember I caught the end of um, Pop Idol and it was Gareth and Will throughout the final... No, I think it was the final, and Will had won. Yeah, you know, and Gareth had been touted as this, you know, pop prince. There was no way he wasn't going to win. Here was Will, a little bit alternative, gay, all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Back then, you know, now it, it seems so bizarre to think that was even an issue. But yeah. back then, he was he was alternative, and yeah. I'm thinking, God, you know, if Will Young can can win that, maybe if there was a, a shot that I could get on, because otherwise there was no route for me in the music industry. Right. I took one look at me and went, I am sorry, no, goodbye. Yeah. You know, because I've always been overweight, never been particularly, like, the best-looking person and all that kind of stuff. Not for, like, pop standards anyway. Mm-hmm. And then this kind of, like, strap came along the bottom of the screen. And I was, I mean, obviously half-cut. Every major decision in my life has been over a bottle of wine. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, I'm going to eat that. I'm going to eat that. When I shut, try to read the number. 
And I phoned drunk and I was like, Michelle, make my arms, blah, blah, whatever my dress was. And, you know, to send out the pack to audition. And I think a whole year went by and I had completely forgot about it. And it was like this golden envelope, like Willy Wonka style arrived one day. And it was like, yeah, you, you have been selected for. And I had to send a full length picture of myself and tape myself on a cassette, like a, pa- a you know, like a. Like actual tape. A tape, mm-hmm. you know, like the personal stereos. Uh-huh. And just tape myself singing and send it off. Wow. And then I got given a date to go on audition and um, then... Was I, that in Glasgow or did you have to go down south yeah, for that? it was like the Mercury Hotel or something on like just off Glassford Street. Right. Or I was a Corinthian, like that, I actually can't remember what that street's called, it's near Glassford Street. And then I got through that first audition. So is that producer just come up and have a look at you? Producers here, and, then, yeah. and then I got through to the judges at that point. Right. Because they were there, they were there at every were audition. They? Oh, they, were, they were working really hard right. at that point. And, uh, and then I got down to London and got into the final 100 and then I got into the final 75 and 50 and then final 12. And uh, the whole while through it, I was just like, they're never going to let any, you know, they're not going to let me win. And as, as the competition went on, it really starts to ramp up in the media and stuff about my weight and all that kind of stuff. And we were really sheltered, but at no point did I think, they're not going to actually let me win this. It's not, it's not going to happen. And were, then, were the media at that point, because I can't remember, because it's that long ago, because I was at Real Radio at the time, but I remember watching, obviously, everyone was backing you, Scotland was backing you. Mm-hmm. Was the media very negative about oh, you at that, that time? It, I mean, there was there was parts of the media that were lovely, especially the Scottish media. Yeah. Really, there was nobody in Scotland that wasn't going to get behind me no. until I won, yeah. kind of thing. But, oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, there was, like, debates in the House of Commons and stuff like that about the way it was getting spoke about. But see... Did that affect you at that point when you no. were hearing it? Did you just no. totally ignore it? No, it has done since, I won't lie. But see, at the time... Well, when you look back on it now? Oh, de- definitely. And, and, and So why didn't it affect you then, Michelle? Because... At the time, it was just the most incredible experience. Like I was living in a nine million house, nine million pound house in London with all my mates for the show. Yeah, you know we were going to like premieres to Love Actually, and you know Ricky Gervais was coming to see the show, and he'd nicknamed me Oddbins because I was out drinking in Tesco Studios with him one night. <laughs> and we were doing a dentist chair and all this stuff. <laughs> my life was incredible. It was like nothing could touch me. It didn't matter what they were saying about me. I didn't know these people. It was like Kevlar, like bouncing off you, like bullets and, also, and everything. Yeah. Also, I could only see what was put in front of me. There was no social media. And yeah. it was done at a time where I felt my mental health was really intact because even though they were all saying that, I just had to flick to a Scottish newspaper or phone home to my mum and she'd be like, oh, hey, and they're all going crazy. I feel like a celebrity myself. You know, and like, <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't, and years later, when I was introduced, I went on to social media and that whole just playground for the unhinged, you know, yeah. it's just that word, because it can be a real, I mean, social media can be wonderful. It can be so, per- you know, and powerful. So, and powerful yeah. and, and really connect people. But it can be a moral sewer as well. You know, that's, you know, may as well just mm-hmm. call it what it is. And it can be really damaging. And it took me a long, long, long time to deal with social media. So the Kevlar disappeared and I, things because, started to affect you. Because after, after, after you're I, only human. But yeah. after no, I but, won, everything uh, yeah. fell apart. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, I never had that experience of winning and having this really positive outcome. Because what happened to me was I won and just got ditched straight away because. Ultimately, they, they why did, do you think that is? Because I just I, there was no way to market me. You and just you know I wasn't going to sell merchandise. I wasn't going to sell calendars to you know or posters to young boys or girls or whoever you know was was looking of um, you know following me at the time. And there was only so many songs that I could sing. I wasn't going to do a dance song with like dancers all around me, like you know like crop tops on and stuff like that. So 
Uh, other than... Were you aware of that or was it what they told you? Oh, completely. I mean, from the minute I won, Pete Waterman just ripped his mic off and walked off stage. Yeah. And I knew, I knew myself. Like, I was only 24, but I wasn't stupid, right? So I just thought, I'm just going to enjoy this for everything that it is. And when it's over, it's over and I will bow out gracefully. Like, I knew I was never going to cling on by doing hundreds of reality TV yeah. shows and just trying to remain famous. When my number was up, it was up and I would move on. So you Have you been asked to do any of the reality TV shows? All of them apart from Strictly, which I'm gutted about because I'd love to get flung about that dance floor. I, mean, I don't know if he's strong enough to tackle me, but after I saw so, him, when he come on, I thought, well, I'm new, you know, I'll never get, I'll make so it. So you, you have been invited on the Celebrity yep. Jungle. Jungle, Farm, Big Brother... Um, I got asked to do the Full Monty. You oh, know, did for you? I, yes. For the, yes. For the breast cancer. But I just felt like I hadn't had cancer and I didn't know anyone had cancer and mm. I really couldn't justify, you know, taking my clothes off. I would, for me, it would have been really damaging in my mental health because the way they kind of sold us, it's only a couple of seconds on camera. I'm like, but somebody will just freeze frame yeah. it and it'll end up on social media and I just, I couldn't mm. cope with that kind of scrutiny. Yeah. And just You mentioned Strictly there. So if Strictly came in for next year, would you? No, not now. I couldn't. You couldn't do it now? No, not with my so, not with my babies and stuff like that. It's just a fantasy I mean, just to like we all head to toe and spangly sparkles and get chucked around. <laughs> Having to cuddle Giovanni. Giovanni, yeah, basically, aye. Well, there's... Um, Gio used me as, a, as a, a brush for the floor. I don't care, just fling me about and fling me up. Well, can we just go... So you, you, win, you win Pop Idol and then it goes a wee bit pear-shaped in regards to they let you go and you get offered all these other celebrity reality TV shows. Why do you turn down I'm a celebrity get me out of here with Ant and Dick? Because I knew that it would do nothing for my career because I would just be so scared on it. I wouldn't right. want to do any of the challenges. I wouldn't want was to be... Easy, was that an easy one to reject? Yeah, because I think when you don't really care about being famous, then there's no reason to do I'm a celebrity. Right. And yeah, there's the money, but you spend money. I would, and there's been points in my life where I've had more money than I would. I took. A, I remember after I went pop, I had something like, you know, it was like million, like two million or something in the bank because they let it rest in your account and mm-hmm. then everything gets whipped off you and you pay tax on it. But I took one of those disposable cameras down just to take a picture of my. I think I went down with forty p. You know, and then so I you got, went down to London with forty p. Basically, in my bank account, I blew all my money. Like you're living in a nine million pound mansion, and the next thing you check your bank account once you've won it, and you've got two million. But that was a million was to make the album, so yeah. a million gets whipped off you right away, and then you've got a you million. forget they do that, though, don't you? Yeah, and then yeah. you've got a million, and then you get like half a million in tax, and then you get half a million, and then you have to pay this, that, and it. And you don't realise when everyone's sitting round the table eating in this recording studio, and they're like, "Such a lovely spread everyone's put on here," and they're like, "No, no, you're you're, you're paying, paying for it." it. But no one tells you that, and the cars that are waiting outside for eight hours, they're waiting for you in Surrey and a it's studio. coming out of your bank. So the money goes really, really quickly, but for that very short space of time, and I was pretty sensitive all my money at the time you know I bought property and, and did things like that but you know most of it was just like I was like I won the lottery and I partied like I'd won the lottery and I gave money to my friends and family and just had a rare old tear but one of the things that I think I love about you the most is the fact that the fame thing doesn't bother you, You're, you you've never chased that I'm quite uncomfortable with that yeah and I mean I'd, you don't need to talk about this if you don't want but I know that a lot of people were very interested in you know your, your kids mm-hmm. and getting photos of the kids and that's not something that you would go down? No, I mean, when both my kids were born, especially Harry, my first one, I was offered, as you know, I sent you the emails just because we had a laugh about it. I mean, I was offered a significant amount of money for me to do. And it wasn't just a picture. I mean, it was a, it was quite a like, lot. It was like a spread with Jeff and I, with me pregnant and, you know, getting my bump out and all this stuff. And then the exclusive after pictures. And it was like a four-page spread. 
and you know me talking about how we conceived Harry and oh, just every single detail and it was a huge amount of money and you know there's I, I mean I have phoned you because I felt I felt so sick and nervous I was like I, I couldn't possibly do anything like that because also I don't ever want my kids to you know I have had an incredible life so far and I am so grateful for everything that's happened to me but it has been tough at points on social media and just just the criticism and what you kind of everyone's got a label and what I came to represent which was someone who was you know quite you know unattractive and overweight and you know sometimes you would just put your name into social media and it's like oh my god right, I feel pizza tonight I just look like Michelle you know I'm looking in the mirror I just see Michelle McManister yeah. you were used in that way and I'm just like I never want that for my boys man especially yeah. I want my boys to have good mental health I want them to know exactly but I want them to be who they want to be I don't want them to be something that I've portrayed on social media Yeah, they can decide that for themselves that's not for me so I, you will, I put one picture of Harry when he was born one picture of Nicholas and you will never see another picture of my children online they don't exist so is that an easy decision to knock back that magazine spread yeah because it was like if you want to interview me about me, not Jeff, not Harry, not yeah. Nicholas, absolutely. And I understand why it's just that culture, you know, because everyone's so open about their life and they tell they want to they want to share every intimate detail, they want to share pictures of their kids and, and that is completely up to the individual, you know, and there's no one thing I've learned about become a parent, there is no judgment. Absolutely not. Being a parent is difficult and it's challenging. So whatever you have to do to get through being a parent and if you feel they're your children, if you want to put your kids on social media, absolutely there's no judgment here. It's just not something I, I want to do. I only laughed there because you said being a parent's difficult and the one of the last times I phoned you you were <laughs> <laughs> you were mid potty training um, with some very interesting techniques. Oh, I mean, I'm in the middle of potty training, my son just now, and he is—he's doing so well. He's two and a half, but he's struggling a little bit. Well, you know, I can't believe we're going to talk about this. Of all the things I've achieved in my life, he's struggling a little bit with the old number twos. You uh-huh. know, so I have to like basically get him in the toilet, and we do a whole thing of. Saying hello to Mr. Pooh. <laughs> Mr. Pooh goes down the tunnel for a swim. We'll see you later, Mr. Pooh. Bye-bye. Blowing him kisses. See you later. You're blowing the poo a kiss. Uh, you and I have made up stories. I have names for different poos. You name it. And the pool, the pool, the tunnel, it's now like a flume. So we're in Centre Parks recently and I showed him the flume. And he's like, Mummy, I can just be like the poo. And I'm like, let's keep that down. Between us. Between us, not, not the hundred people that are in the pool with us. And just the stuff I've got to do. I also, I'm a terrible mother, right? So I've got like, um, obviously I want to pass on good eating habits to my kids because I don't, you know, I, I'm i not one of these people that massively enjoys being overweight. Like I'm always trying to better myself and, you know, unsuccessfully lose weight. I never really want to be that poster girl for obesity. You know, it's not my thing. You know, I'm really, I love people, you know, absolutely taking, you know, ownership of who they are and being pos- body positive. But for me, I'm always trying to be, I want to live for my yeah. kids, right? I want to be as healthy as I can. So I'm always trying to get make sure their diet's really good, blueberries and strawberries and all this kind of stuff. But I have resorted to keeping a bag of milky buttons in the toilet. So you get two two milky buttons for a pee and you get four for a poo. <laughs> So that's, that's just when I go around. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff actually, Jeff ate too, and he's like, I went, you don't get it. I did a pee, I went, I don't care, you don't touch the milk. Went, I'm just showing Harry what you get if you do a pee, I don't even start. It's for leave the that, kids. Leave that Wayne's Milky Buttons alone. Thanks for listening and watching the podcast. We'll be back with the show in just a second, but it's now time to play a little game with our friends from G4 Claims. Hi, and welcome to G4 Play, the game we're playing with G4 Claims. Ewan, who are you up against today? We're up against Greg, and what do you do here, Greg? I'm the studio manager. 
of the podcast that we, we record here every other week. Yes. 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 Nice yes. to meet you, Greg. It's lovely to meet you. Lovely yeah. to meet you, Kat. Greg, you and his 2-1-up. Yep. You're under some pressure here. I'm better than everybody at G4 claims as it stands right now. <laughs> you have a buzzer noise, and your buzzer noise is... Ding. And you're in your hour. I'm always a dong. Yes. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Never a true word was spoken. Okay, here we go. I'm describing a thing. What am I describing? It is pink. It can wiggle. Dong. <laughs> That's not, not the right answer. No. <laughs> Ewan. A worm. No. That's a no bad guess. That's quite a decent guess, yes. It's curly. Pink. Think, babe. Oh, pink. Uh, Pink's tail. Is the correct answer? Come on. Oh, I really wanted to pump him. (laughs) Excuse me? No, no, no. You're lucky I'm... I'm glad I edit this podcast because that is coming out. It's not. It's really not. (laughs) Now, we're in control of that. The answer was... A pig's tail. Well done, mate. Two-two. But your life is so bizarre, Michelle, because like you, you do have this like private side, so you've got the two lovely kids and they're adorable. And then you end up in Robbie Williams' dressing room a couple of weeks back. How does that happen? I mean, how does that happen? It's big. <laughs> that was a really... That was what, a... like in his dressing room? Uh-huh. Yes, um, I was in... Well, let me tell you the story, right? So Robbie Williams bizarrely... Robbie Williams and I, and I don't even know if you remember this, moved in the same circles for a very short space of time after I won the show because what had happened was... Oh, that's in rock DJ time and all that. So, yeah, what had happened was is that after I won the show, I went on three months of just constant promo. You know what it's like. Yeah. People are coming into your studio to get interviewed, you're down the line on ISDN yeah. and all this kind of stuff. That was me for three months after I won the show. So every morning I would start off... Um, and from Antendek's wife at that time was Lisa Armstrong. She was my makeup artist, right? incredible women, so talented. I think she's like head of makeup at Strictly now. So I would go to their house in the morning, Aunt and Lisa's house in the morning, and Deck lived next door. And I would start the day by getting my makeup done and then we would then leave because they were in Chiswick so it was right on the M4 so wherever we were going it was so easy to leave. And at that point in time, Robbie Williams was spending a lot of time with Aunt and Deck. They were all pallying about together and his mate Johnny Wilkes, well, uh, Wilkinson, Wilkinson yeah. at the time, so I found myself moving in the same circles. Right now, we were not best pals. I didn't have his number or anything like that. But he was always so lovely to me when he did see me. Um, talk about how he'd seen the show and he used to get the tape sent over to America and all this kind of stuff. Fast forward 19 years later, I'm working for BBC and my producer for me and said, look, Robbie Williams, people have been in touch. They want you to interview Robbie. He's going to come on the BBC. Will you do the interview? So I didn't say to them, well, actually, I knew Robbie once in a former life because I thought he'll never remember me. It was too long ago and I don't think I was a significant part of his life. Anyway, turns out he did remember me and that's why they had asked. And he gave me this amazing interview. So honest, so vulnerable and fragile as a human being, but just such a megastar. Like his stats are insane. Of the top 100 UK albums of all time, he has six of them. Wow. You know, and the tens of thousands of, you know hundreds of thousands of albums he sold and singles and yeah. you know all this kind of stuff right he just beat Elvis's record for the most number right. of wins and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff so at the end of the interview he said to me look it's been so lovely to chat to you will you come backstage and see me when I'm in Glasgow and I was like yeah of course thinking he'll 
you know, I'll never see him again. Nope, his management emailed me, Sony emailed me right away. Rob wants you to come on this night. Can you be there? Bring as many people as you want. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, not thinking it would happen. And then I ends up taking my four sisters, one of whom is Lindsay, who phoned to take that helpline when they split up, right? <laughs> so I said to her, I was like, I need you to just be normal. Cool, cool. normal just, like Just you. cool, just say just hello, no be crying, nice. Yes. No crying. Yeah. No yeah. rubbing your cell anywhere near him. No doing anything like, no, I don't, you know, basically we got there and I had to peel her off him. Right? Really? Oh, and she was like, Bobby. And he was like, she's like, you know, I was so upset when you left it. I was like, it was 29 years ago. <laughs> she's like, I know. The I picture feel. on her Facebook page, though, I've never seen anyone happier. She she's is very, clinging, she's clinging to on. Him. Amazing. Like, yeah. So, and he was just, again, like, I, I found it quite overwhelming how lovely he was and that he had remembered me. And it was such, you know, a lovely thing for me to be able to do that for my sisters. And also just so nice for me, that somebody like that even remembered, and he was all, he was almost talking about us as if we were equals in some way, and I was just like, Robbie, you do not have one album, don't you? And like <laughs> one, one number one single, and uh, you know, I, I sang at a free family Fundy in Queens Park once, you know. But that's like, you know, I mean, not to put myself down, but he, he was he's like in the house of singing, going for you, and you know, I remember how was your time at so, and I'm like, we're we're not the same, like you're like, Aye. but that's the way he he was. Made me Did he feel. not used to get clips of you sent out to him though? He said at the time, years ago, he had said what he said to me, whether he remembers it now or not. He said at the time he was in America and he used to get tapes of Pop Idol sent over because he loved the talent shows. So he could be like to everyone, don't tell me what happened at the weekend. You know, that old, the old way we used to be. Yeah. You know, remember the, the cell tape over the VHS, <laughs> don't break the seal kind of thing, <laughs> that kind of thing. So he was kind of like, don't tell me. And he would watch it on a Monday or Tuesday. In America, oh, yeah. and you know he would he would watch the show, but I think you know, probably wasn't specifically for me, just for the whole you know. Well, you clearly had an impact on his life from to remember you. No, I would, wouldn't go that far. I think he just looked through a list of people that he could have been interviewed with. I mean, oh, I kind of know her, so do. <laughs> <laughs> but Rylan, who's a massive star now as well, wasn't he? he came through the uh, X Factor. He X Factor. He was mm-hmm. on. He was up in Scotland recently, and he wanted you to do the interviews for his book. He did. So um, something really weird's happened to me. I have. The LGBTI plus community have literally saved my life and career because if it wasn't for that that community, I don't think I would have ever got through those years in between winning Pop Idol and coming back to Scotland in 2009 and getting the gig on the hour, right? So yeah. they were just, they were dead years for me, like, you know, nothing was happening. But I was getting booked for Pride and for gay, you know, gay venues up and down the country and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And, you know, that community really just took me in and just put their arms around me and just gave me work and gave me sort of a purpose. And what's happened now is there's this... Why do you think that was, Michelle? I don't know. I think the LGBTI plus community just love a big belter, you know? And I think if you can sing and, you know, you're a bit of an underdog and there's a story there, you know? Because I think the thing about the LGBTI plus community is it's really just about acceptance and about, about being inclusive rather than being exclusive you yeah. know and just welcoming and creating awareness and understanding could and it be education. that they were also very much aware of what the media were like with you Pot- and, and they reached out potentially yeah. potentially i don't know i mean i wouldn't want to put i mean i'm i'm, I'm kind of guessing to be honest with yeah. you but i am 
And then what's How many years was that? Did they look after you or kind of oh, like embrace oh, right. you? Oh, right. So but from, from one until Still nine. Do. Still so do. So what's happened now is there's this amazing online presence, right? This guy, Gareth, he's, he's so talented. It's called Hunsnet, right? So Hun meaning honey, not the way we would have had to say <laughs> him. Like Hun means a different thing up in Scotland. But it, this is really positive. So it's called like Hunsnet and Drinks for Gays and all this kind of stuff. All these, all these sites on Instagram in particular, hundreds of thousands of followers. And they pick out these really, what they deem as being these kind of, you know, big personality, iconic females and stuff like, so there's like me and there's Claire from Steps and Alison Hammond and there's like Michelle Visage and all these, you know, they pick these women, Ruth Langsford's a big, you know, big one as well. And they really kind of just idolise and put, put us all in pedestals and they'll use clips like all this time for example when we get out of lockdown it's just me standing in the video and they're like me waiting for the pubs to open and it's me going this time yesterday I thought I was gonna die you know waiting for the pub to open and they've just they've really literally certainly for me given me a whole new lease of life in terms of my career because you know I've you know I'm so content with my life in Scotland I'm so lucky to work for BBC and I get to work with Cat when we do our Christmas shows and all this kind of stuff but they have taken me to another level so because of that presence online you know I then start working for Radio 4 and I'm co-hosting with Clive Anderson now yeah. you know Robbie maybe sees me and hears about me you know and Rylan that's how I absolutely how Rylan and I came to know each other was through that kind of community and it's almost like these things where things that weren't very cool sort of I come back round in time and become yeah. a little bit, you know, I'm not going to describe myself as, as, as cult. I don't mean it like that, but what happens is people look back with rose-tinted spectacles and it's a bit of nostalgia. And when it's time in Aye. your life where maybe things don't seem so great with cost of living crisis and all Aye. this kind of stuff, they'll look... So every time there's a vote, which there has been quite a lot recently, you know, with like all these different prime ministers and stuff going through and... <laughs> People will go like that. The only person I've ever voted for, 2003, you know, and they've got me to say the battle bus, you know, the only person I'll ever vote for. And it's my wee coupon when they vote Michelle, flag, you know, flags and stuff. You know, and they're urging Tory party members to, like, please do the right thing and vote Michelle, like, instead of voting for Liz Trust or whoever it is, the new person they're voting for. I and mean, we've, we've all worked in the media for a number of years. Are you in a better place today with the media than you were in the past or oh, do you still have your issues with them absolutely no I mean a hundred percent because I do so little in the media I mean I don't I don't I don't do any interview where it's not for a reason you know you're my pal so mm-hmm. I'm doing the podcast because see really in my life all I want in my life right now I are you scared of the media no, 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 I was for a very long, long time. I think it's different. I think you're just happy. See, now I'm just so content with my life. Okay. See, now my goals, you and are I want to work as much as I can because I want to earn as much money as I can for my babies and my family. So, see, really, see, when I don't need to work, everything I need in my life, out with my friends and stuff, I have it right there. So, therefore, my husband and my kids and my family and my friends, that is all I care about. I have done everything I could ever wish to do in mm-hmm. terms of my career. And that sounds a bit defeatist or not having any ambition. I don't care. You have a focus. Yeah, I have my life. My life is important to me, not the, not in terms of how famous I am or if I've got a blue tick or how many followers I've got. I'm rubbish on social media. I have literally, I barely interact. I'm terrible. And the people that follow me are so phenomenal and they're so loyal and I can never thank them enough. But... I don't need any more. I don't need to achieve any more. I just mm-hmm. want to work. I want to earn enough money to live a really nice life. And I want just to focus on my babies. I want to soak up and spend every minute I can. Because I am an older mum. It does sound like, though, you are enjoying every second of being a mum. 
Um, don't make me tell the tunnel story again. You don't need to hear that. But bye, Mister Pooh. Yeah, <laughs> Mister Hanky, the Christmas Pooh's coming next for my wee boy. But you do. I mean, obviously, I, I know you love being a mum because obviously we spoke in the past. But hearing you here today, your love, your devotion for your children comes through loud and clear, mm. and that is your focus now. It's not about you. It's not about Jeff. At the end of the day, you two are together as a team. But ultimately, mm. the kids are your focus, I'll and you protect my- them. And I've got to respect you. And in, in the set of what you said earlier, a magazine comes and offers you a shitload of money, and you turned it down. That. Uh, you you get a lot of respect for that. And by the way, it's not because I didn't need the money. I needed the money like oh, I know. everybody else needed well, money. I'm totally. not sitting here going, oh, I've just got hundreds of money. No, I, 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 I totally know. Jeff I know that I, as well. Jeff and I discussed it and was like, so this huge amount of money here will mean we could put that in here, trust fund for the boys and do that and do that. And I'm like, what is the point in having all this money for these boys when we royally F them up from the start by just putting them in magazines and putting them on social media what do I do with my wee boys? And I don't even know where social media is going to go in terms of it and kids and a- kids access to online. Yeah. What do I do with my wee boys seven at school and they're getting made fun of because there's pictures of him in OK magazine from six yeah. years ago and he's doing a weird yeah. pose or something like that. What's the point in having all that money lying there if them? my Wayne's coming home and getting right up to his room and no so talking to me? You have no regret about that. Oh, I know God, we're going no. back over what we just discussed there, but just by you saying what you're saying about your children, your family and what your focus is, did you not have any regret whatsoever for turning no. that down and what you could have done with that and what it could have done for your family? No, because it's like deal or no deal in or one of these TV shows. It's not real money. It's not, it's, you know, it's not you didn't like... have it in the first place. I didn't have it in the first place. Yeah. It wasn't mine to lose. Yeah. If I'd lost it, yeah. I'd have been devastated that I'd worked yeah. so hard for this money and then lost it. Have you ever thought about writing an, uh, a book, like your story? Because, like, it is an incredible tale. No, I mean, I don't know, is it? But I don't it know. There would be, be big gaps. I mean, there's lots of things I've done I'm really proud of, you know. I sang for the Pope when he came and I sang for the Queen, yeah. you know, for her Jubilee when she was here, like, 2012. And, you know, I've met so many incredible people, you know, and... You've done panto, you're a radio, television. You've written, <laughs> written your own one-woman shows. Yes. Which are brilliant. Sold out the Edinburgh Festival. You've got so many stories. I mean, just so the, London years, the London years alone. I mean, when I get... I, the, 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 <laughs> the funniest thing that ever happened was we... Me and my pal June somehow got into Groucho Club. Now, we weren't members. Of course, I'm not a member of Groucho. They would never give me a membership. But that particular night, Kate Moss was in and she was dating Pete. Davidson. No, Doherty. Doherty. Oh, Doherty. Who's Pete Davidson again? Oh, that's the one that Kim Kardashian was going out with, wasn't it? So she goes everybody else. Yeah. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. So randomly on this night, right, so what had happened was my manager at the time was Alan Wogan, Terry Wogan's son, right? Alan, oh my God, the most gorgeous man you've ever seen. He was like a real life Mr. Darcy. I mean, we couldn't really talk to him, so we were just like drilling over him. He's like, anyway, girls, I'm going to go and leave you too. You can stay in Groucho, I'll sign you in. We were like, thanks, Alan. You know, it was like £44 for a gin and tonic, and we didn't care, because we were just like, get the credit cards out, we're just going to stay. So what happened was we were in Groucho. Kate, Kate Moss comes in with Pete Doherty, the whole place gets shut down. It's like a private party, and whoever's in's in, right? That's it. So she's basically lying across the piano singing. He's playing, because she can sing, right? And she goes outside for a cigarette or whatever. That There's like an interval from the show that they're, impromptu show that they're putting on. <laughs> Me and my mate, Jenna, just sitting like that. <laughs> oh, my God. We're in this party. Like, we're not moving. <laughs> so... 
she goes out for a cigarette, I follows outside because I think at the time I might have been smoking, right? I was smoking those really, really skinny little Vogue mental things, right? Which I don't know why because I've got Richmond sausage fingers so they made them look even bigger. I should have been smoking like a bigger cigarette. So I get outside, right? And I'm like smoking away and the paparazzi are all there and I'm like, you know, and I goes to go back in. The bouncer's like, I'm sorry, it's a closed party. I was like, no, I actually was in. I was, I was in the party. And he's like, I don't remember seeing you. I was like, please. I was like, honestly, my bag and jacket and everything's like, sling your hook, doll. You're not getting back in. So all the paparazzi are looking at me and I was like, I'll just get up the road anyway. So I'm trying to phone June, my pal, who's now sitting with Kate Moss and Pete Doggery. And I'm like, answer your phone. And I'm at the window, like, girl, at the window, trying, trying to get back in. And I basically had to just like walk up the road in my bag, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I, I think whatever I'd had out of me, I took something in my cigarettes in or something. Uh, I don't smoke anymore. That was a long time ago. And then the next day, on the front page of the Star, was Kate Moss coming out these revolving doors with Maggie Coopman just behind her, like that. Like, Kate Moss parties with Michelle McManus, and I was like, "That's getting framed." <laughs> we still got that picture somewhere. Uh, June, she was my flatmate at the time. She came up the road at four o'clock in the morning eating some sort of cheese and marmite sandwich she'd find somewhere. I don't know where. She's gonna. That's how you left me. And she's like, wait, I'd say what night I had. Like, You're a lobbyist. You don't even work in our industry. How did you manage to get in? They wouldn't let me back in. But that picture of me coming out the ground show with Kate Moss, and it does look like we're just like the best of pals. In the background, and she's kind of laughing, coming out this revolving door. And it was like I dined out on that for. They're like, how did you know Kate Moss? I'm like, oh, can we go way back. You know, it's like she asked me for a loan out for it once. I gave her it. You know, and the rest was history. Yeah, I mean, you've got some legendary party stories that you you put in your one woman shows and stuff like that what was the one about the window again that was oh, my favourite I get I was out I was 16 and snuck out the house to go drinking my mum and dad told me not to go out and I waited till everybody was sleeping I mean there were seven years in the house I didn't even have a key right? I didn't need a key there was always somebody in but when I got home, I was so drunk, I didn't have my key in the front door but when I went round the back the window was just opened a wee bit and it was one of those ones on a latch so I was so drunk that I was like I'll get through there, no bother. So I got the green wheelie bin over. God knows how I got up in that. I can't remember, but I got up and I got my head through the window and I threw my boobs over the window and I threw my stomach over the window. So I was like, the window ledge was here, but my backside was just like a step too far. I couldn't get my backside in the window. So I was lying in the dishes in the sink. And I was like, right, I'll need to get back out. But I flung so much of myself over the window ledge that I then couldn't get back out. But what I didn't know was my backside and my legs, I mean, they were so huge at the back, it was setting off the sensor light in the back. <laughs> because every time I was swinging back and forth trying to get out, and I then had put the two the latches through the wood, the frame of the window. So uh-huh. they had like, so I was completely stuck and I, I was actually starting to lose consciousness because my circulation was getting cut off. So my mum and dad woke up the whole house, had to phone the fire brigade, and the fire brigade came out no. and no. basically had to cut the they couldn't cut me the way they cut me out the window was they basically had to cut the brickwork and like lift me as one unit and put me on the hedge because they were scared that the glass was going to shatter to me it's really bloody right because I was so drunk but I just remember one point thinking I was Alan Jones because I was going flying through the air past all my neighbours and my mum was like giving smelling salts and my mum's like that mum's like oh my poor lassie she was just cleaning the floor in the kitchen and she fell out arse first <laughs> she didn't want to tell him I'd been out steaming obviously and tried to climb through the window she's like Margaret look at this my poor Wayne look at her Margaret oh she was trying to do was help 
me, lift your hand, you're dead, mate, dead. Does that seem like a different world? Because that's now, you, you don't drink anymore? No, I don't drink anymore. Not since you had the kids. So that's what, three years or something? The, so when I fell pregnant with Harry, I was genuinely looking for an excuse to quit drinking because I love alcohol and alcohol has been so good to me throughout my whole <laughs> you life. You two are made for each other. Honestly, God. I was a fully fed, fledged binge drinker. I love that feeling of getting ready to go out and having my first drink and all the rest of it. My problem was that when I hit my mid-30s, alcohol didn't like me anymore. So therefore, I used to be able to drink and drink and drink. And then I would get drunk. Whereas the last couple of years I was drinking, and you know yourself, like I was going out and having a couple of drinks and I was steaming having, and became a burden to my pals because I was then having to get put in taxis and, up and go up the road. And actually people were starting to notice and people were starting to film. And there's a couple of weddings we had been to where people were coming up to me after I was going, oh my God, you, and I'm thinking, see the fact that you stood out of 150 people. Yeah. And I don't think I, I was never rude. I didn't do anything bad. I was just steaming tatty bongled. And I just thought, I can't take the fear. And I'd actually, I don't want to be like that with alcohol because for so many years, alcohol was such a good pal to me. And I, I, I was getting drunk, but I could remember getting up the road and I was always having my wits about me. But when it gets to that point and I'm like, I didn't know how to stop because it was such a part of me as you see a party girl yeah. and it was always me getting out drinking and then my wee boy decided he was coming along and he took care of it all for me because when I felt pregnant I had to stop well Kat turned 50 this year we were at the birthday party mm-hmm. and um, Kat has gone back to those days <laughs> since she turned 50 <laughs> and snogging lots of young boys look how amazing oh, she looks she looks amazing for 50 she doesn't look 50 100% she doesn't look 50 she, 42. she doesn't look 50 but Kat has turned into a 26-year-old all over again since turning 50. And? My yeah. point is this. What is it, your point? It, it could be you as well. No, no. she's married with two kids. I know the bottom, no, 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 no. I'm not saying she's going to snogging boys no, and what have you, but, but but go and being the party girl again and make them round again. That's my point. If I was as good on alcohol as Kat is, then I wouldn't have stopped. My point is, is that, Ewan, I'm not going to go back to it because... I actually love myself more off, and I still feel like I'm so much fun. Like Jeff quit as well, not long after me. Oh, did he? He quit as well because he was just like, and me, Jeff and I were like dialer drunks. I mean, we were constantly. If you needed two drunks at a party, it was only <laughs> me and Jeff. Do you know what I mean? But I think we both just got to a point where we were like, Jeff's like, if you're not drinking, it's not much fun. And I suppose if, and was he okay with that? But Jeff was never really. Jeff drank for me more, I think, than he ever drank for himself. Just to keep up with just you. To keep up with us because we. We have this group of friends, and when we all go out, we we all go oh, I've out. Noticed. Right, I've noticed. But as see now in my life, I still drink, I still have beers, and I still have wine, and I still have spirits. They just don't have alcohol in them. Yeah. And actually, I'm now the social drinker I always wanted to be. And with all the other stuff going on in my life, like trying to try to be a good parent and trying not to mess my wings up and just give them a great life. The last thing I need to add into that is is alcohol. So you never tempted, like, see when we're at Kat's 50th birthday party, mm-hmm. were you not tempted that night to let it go? Can I honestly say it's been the most bizarre thing? I was See, when I feel pregnant, I was scared because I was like, please let me be able to do this because I don't think I'd ever went through a period of my life where I didn't have alcohol. Were you dependent on it? I don't know if I was dependent on it. It was just, it was part of me. It was part of my makeup. It was who I was. I was a party girl and I went out and I loved drinking. Like, I don't think I, I don't know if I was dependent on it. I don't think I was. Well, I stopped no bother, which was weird. Mm -hmm. Did you ever take drugs during that time? I have never taken a drug in my life. I don't think I've even ever smoked. So this is really weird because see, when I was growing up, I don't know if you remember, there's a girl called Leah. And she'd take an ecstasy. Yes. And she... and The posters were everywhere. Yeah. And the posters were everywhere. I was 
terrified to take drugs. I mean, I drank for you. I was so like, that poster worked on you? Oh my God. Aye. So see if I was 13. I mean, I was up Bannerman Park where I lived drinking baby sham and all that. Whatever I could get the shops up. Like, oh, mister, going to buy my baby for me? And just, you know, be waiting outside the shops with my fiver. To get How old were you? I don't know, 13 or 14, 14. my pals. Oh, I drank for a really young age. But you were never, never dependent? No, I don't think I was dependent. And I'm being dead honest. You just enjoyed it? I loved it. But the, the reason why I stopped was, it wasn't because I felt like I... I couldn't stop. I stopped because I hated myself on alcohol when I drank. Well, on it at the time or the day after? I Even at the time, I could feel time. myself going off a cliff. I could feel my... Whereas before I'd be out drinking, I'd be like, right, here's that. I used to be able to do like shots and all that while I was drinking. Whereas I had two or three drinks and I was like, my speech is getting slower. I feel a bit fuzzy and everyone else seemed fine. And I was like, oh no, I've got really drunk again. And I just, my tolerance just went. And I don't know what happened, but when I get to my thirties, it went. And see, not having that now, and actually, it's so amazing because I'll maybe if I'm going to a wedding or something, I'll phone up the hotel in advance. Well, do you stop non-alcoholic stuff? No, we don't. I said, do you mean if I bring my own, I'll pay corkage on it? Oh, it'll be it'll be a tenner or fifteen pound. I'm like, that's absolutely no problem. I thought because I've been at weddings and I'm having red wine with everybody else, and I don't even make a big deal about the fact that you don't want other people to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. There's somebody at the table that's not yeah. drinking. Like yeah. I'm going, yes, yeah, so talk talk away and you know take notes. Aye. And I just have the best time, and I'm still out late. And you kind of get a placebo effect of non-alcoholic stuff. Yeah. It's weird, like you kind of feel like you are drinking. It's weird that we're talking about this with you because just before you arrived, Greg, who works on the show here, he stopped drinking three years ago, and and he's got a new focus, and his life has changed mm-hmm. for the better because he's now no longer drinking and depending on it, and getting binge drinking and getting pissed all the time. And listen, there are some people that have the best relationship with alcohol, right? And I am envious of those people. But I grew up as a child, you know, and born in the 80s, we started socialising in the 90s, all I knew was binge drinking, yeah. all I, that was my culture. So you don't miss it? If, if anything, it's the opposite. I would be I would be nervous to think that I had to drink again, because there's sometimes I've been in situations where, you know, I'll be honest, like, Kat's never said to me, but there's times where I'm like, the next night out we go, because that's what I know that we we drink. I'm like, I don't want to let you down. I don't want to not be drinking. And I, know, never I, I know I never would. But and, and the nice thing for me is like, I've genuinely never seen you happier. Mm-hmm. I just so feel... where you are with your life now and the decisions that you're making, mm-hmm. and obviously with the kids and, and the not drinking everything, you've never looked better and I've never seen you happier. And that means everything to me. Yeah, so I think... It, it, there has never been and see by the way see if I wanted to drink like I don't I don't ever felt like I had addiction issues with it or mm-hmm. I stopped because I was addicted or because I you know had an issue with it and there's never if I wanted a drink I would have a drink but there's never been a point in fact there's been so many points in the last few years that I've just thought thank god I wasn't drinking the night or the next day thank god I wasn't drinking last night and then had to wake up and you know, my babies wake up in the morning, they're like, mummy, mummy, mummy. And I'm like, all right, let's get going. You know, let's get up and right. get going. And whereas if I had been drinking, there's no way I'd be able to do but that. But you know, miss those mornings when you wake up with a fear of, who did a snog last night? You and I had the best years of my life with that fear when I was in my 20s Do you and miss my 30s. You? I know it you're kind of like, like keep no, landing us in it. No, no, well, because because the situation that you're in, you're you're a single woman now, you're 50 who acts like a 26-year-old now and snogging loads of boys. I only kiss them. And uh, Yeah, no, so I'm saying you snog the boys. And Have you've you got... You really don't. No, yeah, it's it, there's there's. I live vicariously through Cat now, and I love it. No, look, see, the thing is, I think it's such a is it's, it's a very hard discussion to have, especially when you're from the west of Scotland or anywhere in Scotland, actually, because mm. drinking is so it's part of the social culture fabric, all yes. this kind of stuff. 
your it's the Mrs. Doyle. Go on, go on, go on. People don't understand when you don't drink because it's part of who we are. You know, it's a big brother Scots. We party. We love a jam. Nobody can drink like us. So it's actually quite sometimes a difficult conversation to have with folk because when you when I say to folk I don't drink anymore, they automatically assume that I was an alcoholic and I had to give up. And I have no issue with, with chatting about that. That I don't believe that I was. I mean, I don't think I had a particularly great relationship with alcohol, but I don't believe I was addicted to it. You weren't. So therefore, it's a really... But I'm happy to have the discussion mm. because I also don't want to preach. Like, I love when people drink. I, I I had so many great years drinking alcohol. I would never want nobody not to drink in front of me. But it's just me and it's a personal choice. And I, I do feel, I mean, so much better. Were you ever tempted by drugs? No, no. never. I was terrified of drugs. Terrified of drugs. Was it offered to you a lot of ticket? Would it be especially when you went pop idol? It was weird because folk, I think, just assumed I took drugs because yeah. of the industry that I'm in. And I remember one time... Um, there was a girl who worked in the same organisation as me, who was on screen the same as me, and we were out a night out, and she offered me whatever it was, and I was like, oh no, I, I don't, I don't take drugs. And it was she, just expected. But she was mm. so mortified. She thought I was trying to um, embarrass her, judge or, her, or ju- and I was like, absolutely no. I mean, if anything, I'm the only one I know that doesn't really take them. I never really have. We've and never. We're just. I've never taken yeah, drugs no, in my and life. And the thing is, so just, I never. I mean, I've, 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 I've been surrounded by drugs yep. throughout my entire life, especially my young life: mm. heroin, glue, aerosol cans, weeds, LSD, cocaine, all of it. And I've never ever been tempted by it. But I am also quite naive because there's been a lot of times in my life where I've been in situations where people are talking about drugs, and I don't know the terminology because I've never taken it, and I've, you know, I felt a wee bit foolish because I don't really know what they're talking about because I just was never, you know, like nicknames and stuff for, for mm. certain drugs. And I'm like, I don't really know what I get handed a, a rolled up 20 euros in a pub once by a really, really hot guy. And I actually said to him, it's okay, I've got my own money. money. <laughs> no, but like... What kind of weird wallet? <laughs> Smarty tube wallet, do you keep your but, money in rolled up like that? Alcohol, I know every cocktail, I know every combination, I can make anything with my eyes shut. There's not one drink I've not tried. There's not like there wasn't much that I had an aversion to, so it was just I suppose it was you know, it was one or the other and I was very much uh, alcohol. But I better I, I, I better get moving on. I'm just no 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 I know see see before we get to the bowl of destiny, you've got you gotta pick a question out here, just the one question. Um if Simon Cowell walked in that door right now, would you say hello? Of course I would. He was absolutely lovely. Was me. he okay with you, was he? he? No, 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 um, I would say hello to Pete Waterman as well. I never had an issue. Well, I was going to get through them all, actually. So first, so Pete, uh, Simon Cowell, no issues. No. Pete Waterman, no dick. No, he, I mean, he, he didn't particularly like me, but I had no issues with him. So you'd, all right, you'd be okay with him if he walked in that door? I'd be like, Pete, how's it going? How's the trains? Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Pete, son. Right, so this is a bowl of destiny. And in the Bowl of Destiny are a number of um, questions. You can forfeit the first question if you don't like it. But the second question you pick, you must answer no matter what it is. Okay. All right? So you have a look at the, the first question and then decide whether or not you want to answer it. You don't need to read it out. Don't need to read it out. We don't need to know what it is if you forfeit it, but you must read out the second question. Yeah, I can, I can answer this no problem. Okay. Are you sure you so want forfeit or anything? Are you, you quite no, happy with that one? Right, read Okay, it here we go then. What is the one thing about yourself that you would like to change? Mm-hmm. It's always my weight. Always. It's always my weight. Because... But you, 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 are you, but there must come a point where you're just comfortable with who you are. I'm comfortable with who I am, 
but I want to, from a health point of view, and for my kids, like I want to live. Like I don't. I think what happens is, especially what's happened to me is, once I've had my kids, my own mortality comes into question because mm-hmm. I'm an older mum, and I think to myself, right, I'm 42, and the boys are two and nine months. I want to see them when they're 30. So do you I want do, to see them getting married. So do you do what I did when I became a father? I was thinking, right, if I'm having a kid now when he's 18, I'm going to be 48. Yeah. You do all that. You do the maths in your head. And I want That's them, what I did. I want them to have their mum. Yeah, like, I'm I the same. I don't want them not to have their mum. I'm so the same. therefore I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm pretty fit. I feel really fit and healthy now. I'm, you look I mean, great. I'm a type 1 diabetic, but my blood sugars are really tightly controlled. I'm very, very overweight. And I don't have any health issues right now, but I know that will come if I remain at this weight. So I think the thing is, is that, and I would love to say that, because I mean, so in the process in my head is, so I'm overweight, I need to lose weight. People will just be like, so do something about it. And I try so hard. But you know, it's so easy for people to say that who are not in no, that situation. No, but there is, I mean, it, is, it, is, it should be really straightforward. It should be. My wife But not everyone's really, bodies really... work the same. And I think I have tried... Honestly, like everything, I have been so good. I've been out walking. I've like really starved myself and I've lost a little bit of weight. But I think when you've got such, you know, I've got maybe like eight stone to lose or something and it's such a big mountain to climb, but I need to do it. So I've recently lost like two and a half stone just because I've been like, as soon as I had Nicholas, I was like, right, give myself a couple of months, breastfeed and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to really try. So I've been trying the last two or three months and I've lost two and a half stone. So now I've only got maybe like five and a half, six stone to go. And it's get the numbers getting smaller, but it's still a huge amount of weight to lose. And what are you doing then? Is it just, it's just like eating and exercise mainly, moving like, more? It's mainly slimming world and just mm-hmm. moving more and just, you know, just trying to be just healthier because of course you would think as well like not drinking you would lose all this weight I actually gained six pounds not drinking I was like that's brilliant story of my life but the thing is is that so I think for me the thing I would change and it's not because I don't love plus size it's not because I don't love seeing people on telly that are so like you know um, like Lizzo like Lizzo oh my god Mm. love Lizzo and you know my lovely friend Jade Adams who was just on Strictly Come Dancing was just she is incredible she is owning it you know, it's not because I don't love seeing, I mean, all shapes, all sizes, people should be exactly who they want to be. And, you know, we only get one shot of this life and, and, you know, people should live it the way they want to live it. For me, I really want to live, yeah. live as in a long life. Kids have changed that. Haven't kids have yeah. changed that. Yeah. I never questioned, I never thought of my own mortality until I had kids. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh man, I really want to be here. Yeah. Somebody, if somebody told me tomorrow I could live till I was 90 I'd grab it with both hands well, isn't I'd that, take it isn't that the, most, the best motivation that yeah, you can have then definitely. well totally 100% Alison mm-hmm. that's two stone another five to go you'll get it done no problem yeah, just think the next time you see me in a bikini, a bikini. <laughs> <laughs> whether I've lost the five stone or not walking in that door with Pete Waterman yeah. under your arm whether I've lost the five stone or not I might just wear it for the end of the podcast and with all the other podcasts that we've done Cat plays us out on her kazoo. <laughs> so, Cat, I think you know what's coming here. Well, it would be nice if we had to do it. I mean, pick a key, love. I don't know if I'll be able to sing it, but oh, well, do you want me to start? Why don't you start then, and I can join in? With do you your want keys? just the chorus, or do you want the, do you want the build up? Or it's, it's entirely a, up to a, you. A verse and chorus. Well, right? well, well, I do the bridge into the yes. chorus. Right, okay. That's, that's okay. So, um, before we do, because this goes over the end titles, um, our thanks to Michelle McManus. Yay! Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for watching and listening to the podcast. Uh, please subscribe, and it's now time to hand over to Cat and Michelle, who are going to play mm-hmm. us out. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Okay, here we go. I don't see the things that bring me down like I used to. No. 
Cause there were times we felt like giving up, but we had to know this time. We've come a long, long way. I'm planning a lifetime for today. I'm praying this moment seems to stay all this time. When everyone else said I was wrong, you gave me a reason to be strong. You gave me the will to carry on all this time. Michelle McManus! Kat Harvey! <laughs> 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 